but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, we thank you for our Savior, your Son, who we are hidden in, that we've been united with through his death and resurrection and by faith. Um, As we now, your church, come to worship and to hear your word, I pray that your spirit would speak. Uh, Father, you have given us freely of your spirit that we might know your heart, that we might know your mind, and I pray that we would have ears now to hear and that we'd be listening I pray for fruit, I pray for change, I pray for growth in our hearts, in our lives. And that is something I, a sinful, rebellious man, cannot do. Uh, But you, by your spirit, can. And so I just pray that you would fill me, that you would help me to equip your people to be witnesses of Jesus, our Savior, so that he will be lifted up, so that he will be glorified, so that he will be worshipped. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. I have a quick movie clip for you, kind of, I think, that intros the idea of where we're going today from one of my favorite movies, and hopefully yours, Finding Nemo. Barbara, I don't understand it. Here, this thing has a lifetime guarantee, and it breaks. I had to clean the tank myself, take all the fish out, put them in bags, and where'd the fish go? That's the shortest red line I've ever seen. Come on, Peach. Now what? Now what? I have a feeling that that's a little bit how the apostles felt as as this book of Acts unpacked. Remember, they're, they're expecting this great thing to happen and they're waiting for this thing that they've been longing for. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses and my spirit's going to come. So wait. And so they wait and they wait and they wait. And finally, we saw last week, the waiting was over. The spirit came. The church was born. Peter stands up. He preaches. 3,000 people get saved. And now they're thinking, after they cheer, now what? What are we supposed to do now? We're sitting here like in bags in the water. Like we were, this is what we waited for. And now this is overwhelming. What do we do? Now what? It started with 120 people and everyone knows everybody. And it's, you're kind of a comfy little group of people in a nice little room. And, and, and everyone's been with each other for a couple of years. Now you look around and it's just strangers. 3,000 strangers who know nothing. They know nothing. Right? How are we supposed to equip those people to be witnesses of Jesus? What do we do now, right? And what we're going to see today as we look at Acts 2 
is what they did now is the same thing, here we are 2,000 years later, that we are to be doing now. Their what now is our what now. And when you kind of strip it down to the bare basics and the core, right, and put all the other things away, the way they equip people to be witnesses, the way we equip people to be witnesses, it's the same. It may look a little bit different and, and, the, and the form may change a bit, but the function and the strategy has not changed. The now what is the same. And so let's look at our text. We'll see the now what for them. We'll see the now what for us as we unpack. Let me just kind of read through our text. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be in just verses 42 to 47, just a few verses this morning. Follow along as I read. And they devoted, oh, excuse me, I'll start in verse 41. It's going to get a running context. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I mean, it starts off, you know, there was 3,000 people added. That's a lot. I mean, think about just the logistical issues. You, there's no more upper room. We're not fitting 3,120 in this upper room anymore, right? I don't know anybody. All these blank stares. All right, Pete, what are we supposed to do? Here we are. We believe in this Jesus of Nazareth now. What now, right? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be equipped to follow this, this Jesus of Nazareth? Verse 42 is the key. Here's the what now. There is two things in this verse that we're going to see this morning. It's the same thing for them, it's for us. It starts, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. We're going to spend most of our time right there. They devoted themselves. This is a Greek word. It's a compound word. It's in the continuous tense. So they kept doing. They continued to devote themselves. And the, and the Greek word is actually two. It's a compound word. So there's two words put together. The prefix means to move towards something. To move forward. The main word means to be steadfast. To be, to be steady. So they are moving towards a steadfastness. A fidelity. They're persisting in a single-mindedness. Of two things that they are com continually committing themselves to. The first is what? It's the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now remember what's going on. There's no New Testament the book of James has got 14 or so years before it's written. All right? You, you have, there's no, the apostle Paul yet. He's still Darth Vader. He's the bad dude still. He's a bad guy. There's no gospels. No Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's nothing. All you have is 12 guys who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. But these same guys are the ones Jesus told them, when my spirit comes... He is going to remind you. He's going to teach you everything you need to know. Just teach what he reminds you. And so they did. They just taught. They're, they're sermon stealing. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Jesus did this. And that's what they do. And they're just teaching it. And what happens over the next 15 to 50 years is they take all these teachings of Jesus and they write them down. 
or they kind of sign off on someone else who has written them down, and we, in essence, that's how we get the New Testament. What the New Testament is, is in essence the teachings of Jesus through the apostles and through some other men like Luke, who wasn't an apostle, but he, was, he had a great relationship with Paul, or, or Mark, who had a great relationship with Peter. They signed off on their teachings and said, yep, that's what Jesus taught. And we get our New Testament. It's basically, in essence, the teachings of Jesus. And that's important that you understand that because here's what you're going to hear in this culture, especially of biblical illiteracy. Well, that's just what the Apostle Paul said. Jesus never dealt with that issue himself, right? We hear that all the time. Well, you know, Paul said that, but he didn't really, Jesus never really talked about that issue. Here's the problem with it. It's a faulty understanding of, of inspiration, of review of Scripture, because what we believe is what the scripture says, that all scripture is breathed out by God. It is the breath of God, all scripture, that the Holy Spirit moves on, on men and they write down his word without error. All right? That is how we get scripture. By the, it's sourced in the spirit. So these men wrote by the Holy Spirit. But here's the question you got to ask. When Jesus taught, what, what was the source of Jesus' teaching? What was the power of Jesus' teaching? It was in the spirit. The Spirit's the one who led him. The Spirit's the one who empowered him. The Spirit's the one who, who taught through him. So the New Testament writers and the Old Testament are empowered by the Spirit. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit. The source of both Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, David's teaching, Luke's teaching is the same place. So in essence, when Paul is writing, it's the Spirit of Christ. When David is writing, it's the Spirit of Christ. When Luke is writing, it's the Spirit of Christ. When Zechariah is writing, it's the Spirit of Christ. It's all sourced in the same place. It's the, ultimately, the words of Christ. And it's true because it's sourced in God. And it's not just true for you and not true for you. It's, it's purest truth there is. It's true for all time. It's not limited to time and space. It's true because God is the source. And so here's the apostles, and they're just teaching what Jesus taught them. Right? This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus taught us. And here's, here's where that relates to us. Here's why that's essential. What we believe ultimately, is that whoever stands up on, he, on this stage and behind this podium really is not qualified to, to, to say anything. We, I really, on my own, have nothing to say to you apart from this. So the, because I don't have breath of life. This is not, this is the breath of Bill. And I brushed my teeth and all this morning, so it's not bad, but it has no power, Right? The only power that I may have is through the scripture. So the best that anyone up here can do is to get up here and simply explain the words of Christ in as clear truth as we can do it and just lay it out there for you. And that's why we do expositional preaching primarily here. We start at the beginning of the book and we walk through a book verse by verse because we're, we're just trying to share the words of Jesus for you so that we're laying it out there. And so you should be able to say, yep, that's what, that's what it says. That's what it says. Oh, I don't see that. Where did he get that? We're just laying the truth out there because this book, despite what some people may think, it was written for the average ordinary Joe to understand. You, shouldn't have, you don't have to have a PhD in theology. This, this was written in what they call the common language of the day, Koine Greek, for everybody to understand. It wasn't written for the PhDs and the higher-ups. It was written for everybody, which is why the reformers tried to put the Bible back in the hands of the people and the vernacular they could understand and translating it from Latin into all sorts of languages, which is why they got burned at the stake. And so our job is to clearly present truth because this is the power to change. 
This is, this is where, where life change takes place. The Word of God is living. It is active. It is sharp as a two-edged sword. It pierces. It's the only thing that can change the heart is the Scripture, right? The, it's the thing that guides us. It's, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It is what sanctifies us. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So here's the change, right? It is our true north in the, when there's, there's fog of the culture and fog of the world. It shows us the truth. I'm not a pilot. You got, we got lots of pilots in this church. I've played one on Xbox before, so I'm pretty good, right? I got that. But I'm not a pilot. But what I've been told is when there is zero visibility for pilots, it is real easy to get disoriented. In fact, your plane can be like banking this way and upside down, and it can feel like you're just flying level. It feels normal. And your plane can be upside down and heading down towards the ground, which is JFK Jr., what happened to him? He just thought, oh, everything's good, but he's upside down, right? Because he can't see. And in that place where your plane is banking and you have no clue where you're going, the only way you can know where you are is to look down at the instruments. And you have a choice. When it says, no, you're like this, upside down, heading down, you have a choice. I, I can say, I believe the instruments, or no, I feel like I'm going okay. Everything's good, right? You have a choice. What are you going to believe? How you feel or what the instruments say? And look, your mind and your emotions and the culture and your friends can be telling you one thing. And you can feel like it's all good. And you can be in a nosedive headed for the ground. And one of the things that the scripture does, it is the instruments. When the fog is there and you feel this way, what scripture does is say, you, you need to pull up. You're in a nosedive. You're upside down. And you, you need to level this bad boy out before you hit the ground. That's one of the roles that the scripture plays, which is why we just, our job is to present it to you. But here's what I want you to see. You go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What does it say? It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It does not say that the apostles devoted themselves to teaching. All that, that was true. It says, they, who's the they? The they is the 3,120 new Christians. And they devoted, and circle the word, themselves to the teaching. Okay, the apostles are teaching, but the commitment is on who? The commitment is on the people, right? They're, they're committing themselves to the teaching. And what does that look like? It's not sitting in a classroom like, oh, Peter, I, man, thanks for unpacking that, that whole tulip thing. Now I'm a Calvinist. Thanks, Peter. Now I, I get this whole Trinity thing, Peter. Now I get that. That's not what they're talking about. They're committing themselves to being obedient to what Jesus said. Remember the Great Commission? Make disciples, baptize them, teaching them to what? Observe all that I've commanded you. These are a group of people. They're saying, tell us what Jesus wants us to do. Tell us what he wants us to do. How should we act? What are we supposed to do to be like Jesus, to be his witnesses? And the, the responsibility is not on the teachers. It's on the people. They devoted themselves. And here's the first what now for us this morning. If we're going to continue to be equipped as witnesses, if we're going to do what we've been called to do, then you, we're job, our job is to teach, but it is your job to respond to the word. It's your job to respond, that you are ready to follow. This is not a spectator event. This is not the football game. Woo, go Jesus. Yay, go Bill. Woo. Awesome. 
everything is awesome. I mean, it's not that. You are, you are, your job, your responsibility, if you are a witness, is to respond to the word. You have three options when you're faced with truth. You have three options when you're looking down at the instruments and it says, upside down, going to crash. You have three options. You can say, no, 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 that's not right. That's not true. I'm good. I feel great. I'm level. You can say that. Or you can say, no, 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 that's for the other plane over there. You can put yourself on the side of Scripture. You can come listen to the word for your wife. Honey, you need to hear this one. Kids. Pastor Bill, kids, speak. Or you can put yourself under the word and say, instruments say upside down. I got to correct this. I got to respond. Right? There is, there is something missing, CBC. There is something missing from a person who says they're a witness, that says they're a Christian, and they never hear and they never respond to the word of God. There's something missing. Right? Because this book is meant to be responded to. This is the heart of God. This is the mind of God, and he has let us know it. And, and if, if this, the living God speaks through the living word, then it ought to be lived. It's responded to. I mean, back to 2 Timothy, all Scripture is inspired. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, so that you may be adequate and equipped for every good what? Work. It is given to you so that you may respond to it, that you may follow so the question this morning that we got to ask ourselves, that I have to ask, is there something that you are not responding to that you know that you should be responding to? There's just something that God has been in your heart every Sunday. Every time you see that person, you, you know God is trying to get your attention. And you're just like, no, 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 not now. Maybe for some of you, it's baptism. You've been putting it off for six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months. You've been here, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And now is the time. Now is the time. Stop putting off what God keeps bringing up in your heart. Maybe there's this, this hidden kind of deal that you got going on that no one knows about, right? And you know you're upside down. But you keep doing it anyway. Maybe it's some lie, teenagers, you've been telling your parents, some relationship you're kind of hiding. Don't let mom know. Don't let dad know. You know. It's time, Right? Maybe it's a lie that some of you have been buying, that your identity has to be wrapped up in work or getting stuff or, and, and dating this person or looking in a certain way, and you keep buying the lie and keep pursuing it and keep pursuing it and pursuing it. Maybe it's busyness. You know that your family is way too busy. You hadn't had a meal together since Thanksgiving of 09. Right? I mean, you're eating McDonald's over here and Chick-fil-A over here and Dairy Queen over here and Subway over here, and you haven't sat down at a dinner table with the whole family, and you can't remember because you got soccer and this and that and club and that and that, and you know that you're too busy, and you're still not, you're, oh, we're just so busy, so busy, so busy, and you haven't cut anything, and it's time to respond. Some of you, you know you should be taking your spouse out on a date frequently. Well, we did it at our anniversary in, in 08, Right? You know you're supposed to be pursuing your spouse, and you're just blowing it off. That God keeps bringing that person to your mind, and you know you're supposed to call them. You know you're supposed to write the letter. You know you're supposed to, to do something and reach out to them, and you're just like, no, 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 no. Time to respond. Witnesses respond. 
Witnesses are ready and they're listening so that they may respond. And I know this has come up a lot lately, but I'm going to keep saying it because it keeps coming up, is that you got to be listening if you're going to be doing. you got to be ready to hear the voice of God if you're going to be doing it. You have to learn to be a self-listener and a self-feeder of the Word of God. Right? I do not want you depending on me and Cain and whoever else is up here for your spiritual feeding. Yes, it's great to come on Sunday and we get encouraged, but I, you should not be dependent on me. I, you know what? It's great about my kids now. They're old enough. My youngest is six, is they can feed themselves. Isn't that great? Parents are like, yes. My oldest can make himself a mean old omelet. My daughter, she, can, she made a fruit salad the other day. Man, it was, it was beautiful. I don't like fruit that much, but it was pretty. <laughs> and my eight, nine and six-year-old, they can get their own Frosted Flakes. They can get their own Cheerios, they get a little stool out and carry the milk and they spill. It makes a little bit of a mess sometimes, yeah. But it's great, I don't have to feed them anymore. They can get their own cereal, right? And what we want as a church is, yeah, there'll be times where we're going to come and help pour the milk and we're going to make the egg and we're going to help. But you need to learn to make your own cereal. Make your own toast. Make your own peanut butter and jelly. It's time. Carve some time out, Right? And here's what we're going to do for you guys. We've been talking about this. We're going to start doing it. We're going to start telling you a week ahead where our text is for next Sunday so that you can come ready. Because we're going to be looking into some sections in Acts that are going to, we're going to cover some bigger sections, maybe a chapter or two. We might not be able to read every verse. But what you can do is you can read ahead. We, we invite it here. Cheat. Go listen to other sermon. I mean, go ahead. We invite. That's the only place you can cheat. Read ahead. So next week, we're going to cover all of chapter 3. So what you need to do this week is read a couple times. Read it before bed. Read at the dinner table with your kids one night. Take, before you go to bed, hey, let's read this together. So that when we go through it, you're like, I already know what this is about. Or you can come up and preach it if you want. I don't care. But so that you're just learning to listen to the voice of God yourself. And look, we, and it, do that. And we have resources at your fingertips, church, that they couldn't have fathomed back then. All they have back then is some guy riding on a camel with one letter from the Apostle Paul. He shows up at a church. He reads it. Okay, I got to go tomorrow. Can we copy that thing real quick? Yeah, copy it through the night. Thanks, we got a copy now. And he runs off to the next church and gives, reads it there. And this guy's got one copy, and then they start making copies. That's all they have. All you have to do is go down to the Lifeway. You can buy a version of the Bible. that You can get the New Living and the NIV and the ESV. and the, You can get a Bible with like seven translations. You can get software. You can get hundreds of translations. You can click on a button and listen to some of the greatest communicators, male and female, of our time. You can listen to Swindoll. You can listen to Piper. I wouldn't listen to them too much because then you realize how lousy of preachers we are. <laughs> okay, so, but... You have the access to all these things. You can do, they got Our Daily Bread. It used to be this little devotional. You had to get it to church and it covered three months. There's an app for that. Free. I got it this week. Download it. Our Daily Bread. I got Our Daily Bread. I got Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. And I got Piper's uh, Desiring God all on this right here. And I get Alistair Beggs emailed me every morning. And I don't have anything. The point is this. Do something. D do something. Carve some time out and do something. And that might mean some of you need to turn off the social media. The first thing you do when you wake up is you check Facebook. You got addiction issues. First thing you do is you check your Instagram. You got issues. Right? If you spend four hours a night looking at people's pictures and it's like, 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 
Read a proverb like that. <laughs> All right? <laughs> okay? But, I mean, we, we got to get over this. Okay? So spend some time listening. Witnesses listen. They listen. And then they respond. In little things. Doesn't have to be huge, mega things. They just respond. Looking for opportunities to respond because God is constantly just putting them out there. Right? This week, I'm sitting at the Starbucks. This is where God usually teaches me most of my lessons. I should write a book about it. I got like lessons from Starbucks. Right? But I'm sitting there. I'm studying. I'm incognito because I usually am when I'm out. And, and this lady, she sits down next to me. And she's you know, hi, how you doing? Work, doing the work of the Lord here. Don't bother me. Right? <laughs> Uh, and so she starts to asking me questions. You know where this school is? And I can tell she's not from here. She ends up, she's from Ghana. And so she's, she's uh, do you know where this school is? And I'm like, no, I think it's up the road. She's like, oh, I called a cab an hour ago. I'm, it's my first day teaching. I'm supposed to be up there 10 minutes ago. And it hasn't come. And I'm like, well, it's only a half mile, lady. It's right there. You, know? <laughs> so you can huff that bad boy. You got sneakers on? Go. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, like, I'm doing the work of the Lord here. Can you see? So I'm, I'm subtly hearing... The, the voice of God just, you need, to, you need to give this lady a ride. And I'm thinking, God, I have a rule. I don't give women rides. This is my rule. It's a good rule, all right? Now, she's like 65, okay? 65 from Ghana, doesn't speak much English, teaching French and all these other languages. But I'm thinking, no, I got to keep my rule. I got to do the work of the Lord. Walk yourself up to the school. I'll be all right. But So she starts huffing it. And I'm like, ah, oh, Lord, do I have to? Yes, you have to give her a ride. So I said, ma'am. I, I can give you a ride. You, you, oh, thank you, thank you. So, you know, get her in the car and, and take her up. And, and she tells me her story. She's from D.C. And she came down to get this teaching job. And, um, you know, just a sweet lady. Maybe who knows if she's a believer or not. She tries to give me five bucks. And I'm like, no, that'll be $10 for this. <laughs> I just, I'm like, no, it's just no big deal. Just glad I could do this for you. And, and, uh, and I said, don't trust the Savannah transit system. She's used to D.C. and the red line and all these things that get you there in a minute. I'm like, they have a bus every other week. So you can't, you know, I don't trust that. And she's like, oh, I learned my lesson. Thank you. And, and, and I drove back, you know, a half mile. And I'm thinking, man, I am so glad that I just listened to the voice of the Lord in that, that little, because I would have been bothering me all day long that I made that lady walk. That's the little things I'm talking about. And there's, there's a million little things that I don't do. So that's one success story. And I could give you a million losses. But that's what, that's what witnesses do. Just those little promptings of God, and we're listening, and we obey. That's a witness. And it's your job, my job to teach, and when I stop doing that, you fire me. Your job to respond. Your job to respond to the word. That's what they're committed to doing. But that's the first thing. There's only, that's only one of two. There's another thing there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, right? They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They're constantly moving towards the fellowship, the koinonia. Now, fellowship, in some of your minds, immediately you think of macaroni and cheese when you think fellowship, right? You think covered dish, old dude coming back for homecoming, brown wood paneling. That's what you think of. And that may be part of it. But that's not what the idea behind koinonia, this, this Greek word that means to share in common. It, it's a deep bond of affection and connection. And there's actually two aspects in this verse that he talks about, two ways in which fellowship plays itself out. The way the Greek text 
is structured, this, this, the breaking of bread and prayers, it's, it's related to the fellowship. It's not four separate things. It's fellowship, and it's describing what fellowship looks like. Breaking of bread, i.e. the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the Lord's table, where you come together and you celebrate the thing that makes you one, the body of Christ that was crushed for you, the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. doesn't matter if you were an apostle being there for three and a half years or you're brand new in this deal. You all got in there the same way through the blood of Christ. And it's, that's true sharing in common, right? And then the prayers. Again, this unity of accessing the same Father by the Spirit through what Christ has done, where you come together and with one voice, Unite and pray. And for them, fellowship, sharing in common involved those huge two facets. But you think about this. They devoted themselves. They, they committed to the fellowship. It's just a weird phrasing, isn't it? They were committed to the, the sharing in common. And here's, here's kind of the language I want to use. That. Here's what they were doing. And here's the second thing. Here's the second what now. How they equipped each other to follow follow Christ, is they were committed to doing life together. They were with one another. They lived life together. I mean, look at verse 43. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We'll come back to that in the next couple weeks. He says, and all who believed were together. They're living life together. They are hanging out together. And they had all things in koina, it's related to koinonia, common. They're, they're just sharing stuff. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. How do they know there's a need? Because they're living life together. They're doing life together. And they, this guy over here says, oh, he needs a car. I got, like a, I got a third car. Here, you can have this third car. This guy over here, he's got a little bit of extra money. And he's like, oh, th- these people need their power bill paid. Okay, here you go. I'll pay your power bill. How do they know that? Because they're doing life together. They're eating meals together, right? They see a need, they meet a need. There's a oneness there. That's how they equip each other. And look, there is no way, there is no way that they can know all 3,120 of each other. There's no way. They can't know everybody. So what do they do? Verse 46, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They meet in homes. They hang out together in their houses. They eat there. They celebrate the Lord's table there. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. What do they do? They meet in smaller groups. They can't meet all 3,000 people. You can't fit those people in a house. But they can meet in smaller groups. 20 people here, 15 over there, 40 over there, meeting in houses. And that is how God equips them to be witnesses. Right? And so here's what you have to understand. This book is perfect, holy from God himself, but it is not the end-all, be-all of a Christianity. And if this is all you got, you, your King James Bible, and Charles Stanley on TV every other Sunday, then there is a hole in your Christianity, right? This book was meant to be lived out here, right? And you think, oh, I don't know about that. Ten commandments. First four, you and God. Last six, you and man. No adultery, don't covet your neighbor's vehicle, or that's not vehicle, but back then it was something else, right? But don't lie, don't steal, honor your dad and your mom. Those are relational. New Testament, love one another, share with one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. All the one another's. It's not you in the closet. You can't love your neighbor in your closet. 
You just can't. This is lived out here in relationships. You are created for relationships with God and with people, the body. Right? And we know that. Even a lost world knows that. Remember that scene in Castaway? Remember the whole movie Castaway, Tom Hanks alone on the island? Who becomes his best friend? The volleyball. Wilson, the volleyball. And by the end of the movie, you're talking to the volleyball. And half you ladies cried when the volleyball floated off in the ocean. You're like, Wilson, it's going to die. The sharks are going to get Wilson. Right? It's a volleyball. Why is that such a moving scene? Because that's, we're just created for relationships. Right? And if you're going to grow, there has to be intentional places where you are knowing other people and you are known. And look, they did, the, did a little research this week. There's over 100,000 churches in this country that are 35 people or less, right? Now, that's the perfect number if you want to know everybody. It really is. You want to know everybody, your church needs to be 35 or less. Problem is, most churches are not that, right? And so when you get beyond that point, you cannot know everybody, but you can know some. And what we have done at, at, at CBC is we have tried to create avenues for you to know people and be known. And community groups are, are a huge part of that. Yes, they are, they are huge. They are what we do. It's not just some little thing. Those are part of our DNA where we provide places in your close neighborhood so that you can meet other people that are not like you. And you can do life together. So when there's needs, they can be met by others in those groups. There's a place to be known. Look, picnics are easy. Make myself a little brownies, a little covered dish. I'm in and out in 90 minutes. I get fed and I don't really connect with anybody. That is easy. True koinonia is very hard, right? It's hard because the church, quite honestly, is filled with weirdos. And if you're thinking, there's not really that many weirdo people, then you're the weirdo person. <laughs> but that's okay. The reason is filled with weirdos because how do you get in? We invite everybody and say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? But see, what God does is he takes people that are different than you so that he, they will make you more like Jesus. And you're in their life and they're in yours. And here's another reason that, that koinonia is hard is because it always involves sacrifice. You are giving of yourself. You are giving of your time. You are giving of your stuff. You are giving of your emotions. You are entering into that person's world and you are carrying their burdens. That is not easy. It is hard. But that's true community. And that is how we mature. Right? And I don't think the problem with most of us is doing that. I think many of you are great at entering into other people's worlds and, and helping and serving and giving and going to hospitals and, and praying and hugging and loving. We do pretty good at that. Here's where most of us struggle. We will carry other people's burdens, but we will not let others carry us. Because if I, if I let them carry mine, then that means I'm not strong. It means I might be weak. That means I might not be perfect that I might be the weirdo. That's where we struggle. Some of us just need to get over our pride. You may have a PhD and no one really cares here because we all have the spirit of Christ in us and we can help and we can, you can be matured by that person over there that's completely different than you and you need to, you need to let them, right? 
And you need to enter into that. Here's a verse for us to think about this week. This is the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us consider how to provoke or stir up one another. Let us think about how you can stir up other people to do what? Love and good works. You know what this verse is saying? Where do love and good works come from in the body? From you purposely thinking about how you can stir up in someone else how they will be loving and do good works. The responsibility is on you. How many of you are thinking about that? How, you, how am I going to stimulate and, and provoke my spouse to good deeds? My kids, my small group, my, my, the people I work with. That's something that we are all called to do. You need that to be done. I need, I need my wife, who is my closest community group, by the way. I need my wife to tell me the truth. I need her to tell me, you are too harsh with the boys. You were too loud there. You weren't loud enough there. I need that because I can't see that. I need her to tell me. And I need to be willing to listen. I need her to say, you're doing good. Keep it up. I need all those things press on for perseverance, for love and good deeds. You need it. You need it. The Holy Spirit uses people to stir these things up. Right? And I know that not everyone can be in a community group. I get that. But you need to work somehow to get into the flow of the body. You need to be meeting with coffee with this person there or, or go to BSF or, or somewhere where someone can speak truth to you. If you're a man, you need to be here at 630 this Thursday. If you can get here, we'll get you out by 7.30. But you need someone to tell you the truth. And you need to be telling other people the truth, right? An isolated Christian is a easy target, easy target for the enemy, right? You can be upside down and no one's telling you, hey, Red Five, you're upside down. No, I'm gold. That's a Star Wars reference for those of you who didn't know. <laughs> Here's the language we use at CBC kind of for these two things, because it's very simple. They're doing two things, committing to responding to the word, committing to doing life together. We use it really, very profound. We thought about this for months and months. They're committed to community, right, to the body, and they're committed to Bible. Profound, I know, right? Our name, community and Bible, the two things that we present to you to encourage you where does life change take place? Where does equipping to be witnesses take place? In community and in Bible. And you have to have them both, y'all. You gotta have them both, right? They're both necessary. When they're both there, there's power. It's like, for those of you who grew up in the 80s, all right, like me and myself, it's the Wonder Twins. Remember the Wonder Twins, right? Yeah, I see some nods here. Some of you are like, the Wonder Twin Powers. You get this, this brother, sister, and they'd say, Wonder Twin Powers, activate. And it had to touch, if they didn't touch, it didn't matter. And they touch, and he would form up a bucket of water. Woo! And he'd turn into a bucket of water. And she'd be like, a, a whale. Woo! Pour him a whale. And they could change. But the power was when they were together and when they touched. The power is when the Scripture meets the body and the Holy Spirit moves and there is life change. And you need them both. Because if you have community without truth, you just have a group of people who will do whatever. If you have Bible without community, you just have a bunch of heady, proud people that know a bunch, you need them both. You need them both. That is where witnesses take place. And that is where power, look at the result. Again, 43, all came upon every soul. This word means reverential awe. There is a, a holy fear of these people. Like what in the world, these people? I, we have never seen love like this. We've never seen 
we've never seen people. This guy was a jerk who loved this stuff. Now he's giving it away. He was just mean and now he's joyful. They've never seen life change. All they've seen is religion. Do this, do that. Do this, do that. And now there's a group of people that they can't get their arms around and they're, they're, just, they're just blown away by them. Right? There's all. There's love. Verse 46, I love. They're attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They're like, that group of people is weird. They're always happy. They're always joyful. They, enjoy, they go to the beach together and have fun together and they laugh together and they cry together and they eat meals together and they're always asking each other how they're doing and they're always with each other. That is weird. They just love each other. What is up with that? There is just something different and joyful about them. They're not fighting over who parks their camel where or who gets to sit in the corner and who gets the nice seat. They are just joyful. And there's something infectious about it. They're having favor with the people. They're like, I don't get it, but I want this guy working for me. I don't know what's going on, but that kind of guy, I want him around me. I want to be around. I need to go to that little meeting they have every night and eat that meal that they talk about. I need to be in that deal. Right? Think, what do lost people think about you, really? What do you think they say about you when you leave the room? Whew. Glad boss man's gone. He's on fuego today. Right? That person's always yelling at the kids outside. Man, that guy, he's just, man, he's just mean. What do they say? Do they say that you have a glad and generous heart? Right? That, that's the idea. They, they, they're just different than the rest of the people. And here's what I love. How's it close? The Lord added to their number. Who added? The Lord added. Not them, not their programs, not their this, that, and the other, not their evangelism, this, that, their, their smoke machines, their cool things, the event. No, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved day by day. And what's interesting about this text is not one time does it say anything about them going out and doing preaching in the streets and holding up signs, repent, the, the Lord is at hand. What is it that is so effective that is growing this church? It's the people living lives committed to each other and just obeying what, what Jesus just told them to do. And people are blown away and they, they start looking and they're coming in and they're like, man, I, and they hear the gospel and they get saved. It's not out yelling at people, repent. It's living their lives in front of people well that gives them a platform and people get saved. Right? That's it. It's huge. So the what now for them and how Jesus grows his church is just people that are willing to follow him and people that are willing to do life together. Community and Bible. That is the what now. That's the what now. And that's what we're gonna do. What now? That's what it is. I have, one of my pastor buddies called me this week. He's like, I gotta tell you this. He said, I was, at, I was eating sushi over at, I won't tell you what restaurant because maybe it was you, I hope it wasn't you. He said, there's these two guys, and I heard them talking. And he said, I, and they started talking about CBC. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started listening. And so he's, he's listening up against their booth, right? Like, and he's like, and they were saying stuff like this, like, well, what, what is this CBC place? Well, I don't know. I heard, I heard that they, like, have a praise team, and, and they, uh, they, these two young guys preach, and they don't, they don't dress up or anything over there. And the guy's like, are you okay with that? He's like, no, are you? No, I'm not okay with it either. Oh, and I'm like, all these things, and they're talking about us. He's laughing, and he walks away. And, and look, I hear, I hear stuff about our church all the time like that. It's funny. You know, they have no clue. They've never been here. And, and it just makes me laugh. 
most of it because I'm like, you're right, you know, that's probably, I'm not that young, I'm 40, but I'm, you know. But what, what I do hear sometimes about our church that does bother me because I've been hearing things like, oh, you guys are the, the trendy church. You're the cool church in town now. And I'm thinking, you've never been to CBC, have you? Because not only are we the hottest church in town, temperature-wise, except the day 15 service, there, we do nothing trendy. I mean, we are the least trendy church. Uh, me and Kane are the least cool people in this town, I can guarantee you. I, can, I mean, we got some, Ethan's pretty cool, but every, you know, and Talava's pretty cool, but most of us are losers. I mean, you know, and we won't even talk about Jay. I mean, uh, <laughs> right, okay? Something in, you don't know CBC if you think we're trendy. And if you're here because someone told you that we were hip and doing something cool, look, we are, you are in the wrong church. We are not trendy and we are not hip. What we have been doing from day one is the same thing we are doing right now. We've had, from day one, when there was those 30 people in the Johnny Harris, you know what was about those 30 people? Those were 30 people that were committed to responding to the word and to doing life together. And you know what we've done? We've just added about 970 of them that are just responding to the word and living life together. And I am convinced the reason that God has had his hand on this church is not because the preaching has been great. We've been doing great strategies and all this thing. We have kept it simple that we are going to teach the word. You are going to respond to the word and then we are going to do life together and we'll give the spirit freedom to move. That is what we're doing. And if that's what you're about, man, you, you, you can jam it on with us here. And if that's what you're not about, then you probably don't want to hang out much longer. That's what God's doing. That's the what now. That's what we're about. And that's what we're gonna keep being about. Responding to the word. So as we move to worship, and what we're gonna do, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table, right? And we're gonna remember the body and the blood. We're gonna remember what unites us. We're gonna remember how we are one because Jesus died for you and he died for me. And if you're a follower of Christ this morning, if you have put your faith in Christ to forgiveness of your sins, then you are, you are invited to celebrate with us. But what I want you to do as the men come and as you have a chance to respond and, and, and just hold the elements and I'll come up and lead us together as one body, I want you to ask the question as we move to worship, how are you doing in these two core elements? Responding to truth and, and doing life together. Here's your opportunity to respond and, and not, well, I'll do whatever God's saying next week. If, it's today, if, if he's been putting something in your life, in your heart, don't wait. Be obedient today. Respond today. Right? And we'll celebrate the table. It's an interactive experience together. And then we'll worship through singing. Let me pray, and the men will come forward. Father, as we worship as your church, I pray that Christ would be exalted. I pray that he would be lifted high. And I pray that you would move in our hearts and lead us towards yourself. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.